0: Hey guys, this is Danny, the lead pastor at Swerve Church, and I'm so thankful that you're tuning in to the podcast today. I hope that the message that you're about to listen to will be extremely encouraging and uplifting, and honestly, I pray and hope that it's challenging to you as well. I want to invite you to join us Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Or I want to invite you to join us live online on Sundays at 11 a.m. on our Facebook or YouTube page. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I pray that you are by today's message. Today we're starting a brand new series called Sincerely Paul. I'm personally really excited to begin this series with you all. We're going to do a deep dive into the book of Philippians. And what you'll notice is that this is going to be a little different than previous series that we've done, you know, most recently because we're going to take a verse-by-verse walk through the book of Philippians. And here's what I would love for you all to do, okay? You can take it as a challenge or as homework, whatever's going to motivate you to do this, I want you to read the book with me. Philippians is super short. It's only four chapters. So I want to encourage you to read it over and over and over. Really internalize the book of Philippians into your heart. Go ahead and take extra notes. Highlight your favorite parts of the book. Write in the margins all the things that you're learning or the challenges that you're receiving from what you're reading because through this series, we're going to have an opportunity to really take it to heart. So by way of introduction, let's begin by reading the first two verses of chapter one of Philippians and learn a little bit about the author and the audience of the book. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what you need to know. Philippians is actually not a book but it's actually a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul was a church planter and missionary, and he's actually quite an interesting character. He wrote about a third of the New Testament, but originally he was a terrorist who persecuted and executed Christians, Uh, but he has a radical encounter with Jesus. And after that encounter, he dedicates his entire life to sharing the gospel and to planting churches. And on one of these missionary journeys, he comes to the city of Philippi. There he shares the gospel and some people respond. And out of that, a church was planted. If you want some extra homework, take a look at the book of Acts chapter 16, which shares the origins of the church. Go ahead and read that. Uh, But what you need to know is that Paul cared dearly for the people of the church of Philippi. And you can sense that by the words that he uses to address them throughout the letter. To Paul, they were dear friends whom he had discipled personally, who he had baptized personally, and he had a genuine love for this church. However, throughout many times in Paul's ministry, he's eventually imprisoned for sharing the gospel. And while he's in prison, the church of Philippi, they collect an offering to help support Paul in his time of need. And this shows us that the endearment was mutual. The people really cared about Paul as well. It wasn't a one-way relationship but the affection and the endearment was mutual. So it's from this imprisonment that Paul pens this letter and he pastors and shepherds and lovingly corrects his extended church family. So as we dig into the first few verses, I have three big ideas that I wanna share with us today and uh, it'll form one sentence, okay? So first, uh, let's read verse three. Here's what it says. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying, with joy for all of you in my every prayer. (laughs) Can you guys hear the heart of Paul for his friends in Philippi? I mean, he genuinely cares and, and thinks of and prays for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And in these first few verses, he says he prays with joy and that he thanks God for them every time he thinks of his friends, which I think communicates for me, number one, that your spiritual family is not a chore. At least it shouldn't be. You know, there's a temptation for us to view others, even our own spiritual family, as a project or as a chore. Especially if your personality type is a fix it Felix or a Bob the Builder or a selfish Sally, right? Then we can quite easily view others as bothersome or as a puzzle or riddle to solve, a problem to fix. But the gospel perspective is neither of those things. For Paul, these people were not a chore, but a family. They were friends that he dearly loved and cared for. He cared for their well-being. He cared for their spiritual lives. He cared for their spiritual growth. And the feeling was mutual for the church. Hey, but what is your view of your church family? Our view will determine how we interact and behave with one another. So how can we develop a correct perspective? How can we not view our spiritual family as a chore? I think Paul mentions at least three ways in the letter A, you can write this down, and that is that you should remember your spiritual family. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. In other words, he was constantly thinking of his spiritual family back in Philippi. You know, within all of us, there's a fight. There's a battle against every selfish bone in our body that only desires to think about us, what we care about, how we feel, how we're treated. But Paul, while in imprisonment, mind you, while suffering for the gospel, he's thinking about his friends. Even from a season of his life that he's essentially restrained, he's still thinking of his spiritual family. So how do you remember your spiritual family? What what does that look like for us? Well, I'll give you some practical thoughts. Uh, Thankfully, technology has advanced quite a bit uh, since Paul's day. Uh, He would send letters. What can we do? Man, you, you can send a text. You can call someone up. You can shoot an email or even arrange a meetup, right? Whenever you think of someone, let them know that you're thinking of them. Hey, fight against this feeling of sitting back with your arms crossed and thinking to yourself, man, no one remembers me. No one thinks about me. No one cares about me. No, you be the one to initiate and establish a culture of remembering. You can also, under letter B, write this down, you can pray for your spiritual family. that's, That's what Paul said Paul said, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Whenever Paul would spend time with God, he'd bring to mind the church in Philippi. I envision him praying for the folks there, thinking, thinking of them by name and asking God for their strength and their faith and their healing and for their families. Do you spend time regularly praying, not just for yourself and your petitions, but for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you so involved with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you know specific ways to be praying for them? Do you ask your spiritual family, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? What are some practical ways uh, to practice this? Well, you know, don't just pray for others alone by yourself. Sometimes there's a special comfort in laying your hands, on hearing the words, on feeling someone being present and praying together. And lastly, you can, on the letter C, write this down. You can choose a disposition of joy. Paul said that he was always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. The emphasis was on with joy for all, right? That was his general disposition towards his spiritual family in Philippi. You know, some of us, we love debates. We love arguing and picking fights. You know, Many of us, sometimes we can be real contrarians. But what if instead we enter into this relational space, not looking for a bone to pick, but with the disposition of joy? How would that change how we relate to one another and how we treat one another? How can we have joy? It begins with gratitude. It begins with the heart of gratefulness, acknowledging that the Lord has rescued you and he's rescued your spiritual siblings as well. And so it is an absolute joy and to serve and to do life with your spiritual family. Your spiritual family is not a chore. Then Paul goes on to say in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Paul didn't see the church as a chore, but as number two, partners in the gospel. The idea of partner paints a picture of people working shoulder to shoulder, not a hierarchy, but co-laborers for the gospel. And when Paul addresses the family in Philippi, he uses the word partnership. And This is interesting because Paul was a missionary. He was a church planter. He personally led many of those people to Christ. He certainly had more knowledge of the scriptures. I mean, he's the one who had a radical encounter with the risen Christ. He's the one who's currently in prison for the gospel as he is even writing and penning these words. Yet he viewed them as partners in the gospel. Is that your perspective? Do you view your church family as partners in the gospel? If it's not, how can we change your perspective so that we can view one another as partners? Let let me share with you guys some thoughts because to be honest, oftentimes within church culture, uh, there's a level of toxicity that can formulate and that can cause some severe damage. And many people have even experienced church hurt and stepped away from the faith because of it. And here's why it happens. It happens because we're sinful and we're fallen people. The church is full of imperfect people. So if we're not careful and intentional, this thinking can creep into the church. So here's some thoughts. How can we be partners of the gospel? Well, first of all, your church family is letter A, not your competition. In other words, your brothers and sisters in Christ are not your rivals. Our walk with Christ isn't a game where certain people come out on top and others don't where some are winners and others are mediocre. We don't need to feel threatened by each other because we're not competition. Under letter B, your church family is not your enemy, okay? We, we can be very skeptical people at times, and sometimes we can apply the skepticism even with our spiritual family, always thinking there's someone out to get us, that you know we have one spiritual enemy who absolutely hates us. He hates that we've been made children of God, and he's the one that's out there trying to cause you to stumble. But that's not your church family. Okay, and on the letter C, your church family is not better or less than. Okay, listen, listen carefully, guys. There's no super Christians here. There's no kissing of the ring. There's no bowing down to worship and praise an individual or a group of people. Uh-uh. No, as followers of Jesus, we only submit to one king and we live for one kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. Instead, partners in the gospel run side by side. We lock arms and we help one another. We recognize our own weaknesses, but we lean on one another for strength. And as partners in the gospel, we don't allow only one person to pick up all the slack and do all the work of ministry. No, no, no. As partners, we step in and we help and we serve where it's needed. So meditate on this question today. Do you view your spiritual family as partners? The people sitting next to you and behind you Or how about this? Do you view yourself as a partner? Or do you view yourself more like a patron where everyone else around you exists to serve you? For Paul, he saw his extended church family in Philippi as partners in the gospel. And I can't help but wonder what might happen if we had the same view of one another. Now here's the last thing, okay? Your spiritual family is not a chore, but partners in the gospel, number three, who are on a journey with you. Here's how Paul says it, and uh, and this is a very popular passage in the New Testament. No doubt you've heard it many times, and now we can hear it in the context that it was written by Paul to some dear friends who he's on a journey with. And he said this in verse 6. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Guys, we're all on a journey towards becoming more like Christ. and This is where, unfortunately, so many Christians get it wrong. This journey is being perfected and brought to completion, not by our own strength. Paul says that the one who started it is the one that's going to finish it. And as we have no power to save ourselves, we also have no power to bring that salvation to completion. And that means that God is at work in all of us. Some might be a little further ahead. Some might be just learning. Some are still grappling and wrestling with God. We we all have this in common, that we're all on a journey. And since we're all on a journey, that commonality should do something within us. It should cause us to be able to extend sympathy and empathy with those who we're on this journey with. We have to be a people who are patient and understanding. Listen, because God is patient and understanding with us, with you. It's so unfortunate that oftentimes those of us who have experienced the most love and mercy and forgiveness are many times the least loving, the least merciful and the least forgiving. We're all on a journey. My job is to help you grow in Christ's likeness, and guess what? Your job is to help me to do the same. And why is that? Because ultimately, the one who started it will finish it. And when is it going to finish? According to Paul he says the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, upon his return, when he fully redeems his people, then it will be complete. And that means we have a lifetime of journey to do. Now, for some of you, that journey begins today. It begins by recognizing what the Bible says, that we are sinful by nature and choice, and that sin merits God's righteous judgment and wrath, but that God in his love and mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us grace. God enters his creation in the person and work of Jesus, and he lives the life that we could not live, and he dies the death that we deserve. But Jesus conquers the grave, giving all who put their faith in him forgiveness of sin and newness of life. The journey begins with putting your faith in him, not your religious work, not your good deeds or your charity. It's simply by putting your faith in Jesus. And if that's you, I encourage you to pray a prayer between you and God, Surrender to Him, and as you begin that journey, we'd love to be your family and help you walk on this journey. For all of us here today, your spiritual family is not a chore, but partners of the gospel who are on a journey with you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us not to see each other as a chore, but as blessings, God. Help us to walk side by side one another as partners of the gospel, Lord. And I pray that you would give us grace to journey with each other, to trust you to bring to completion, God, what you started. Help us trust the process. Help us be patient in the process and help us walk alongside of one another on this journey. Lord, as you bring to perfection, as you bring to completion, what you have started. We thank you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. wanna to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?